Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Wayne McCullough, Global Head of Customer Success at Google Cloud for SaaS. In this episode, we talked about the evolution of customer success at Salesforce, the greatest challenge customer success reps face, and Wayne then shared his biggest learning moving into the customer success industry. We also discussed the importance of data when it comes to customer success at Salesforce and dove into how to build a customer success framework to reach a Salesforce and Google Cloud level of sophistication. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Wayne, welcome to the show. Uh, G'day, Andrew. Good to be here, mate. It's good to have you. For the listeners, Wayne is the global head of customer success for all of SaaS products at Google Cloud and the author of the seven pillars of customer success. Uh, Wayne is also an advisory board member of several startups and has held executive roles at companies like Looker, Salesforce, Genesis, and IBM. But perhaps the most impressive thing I spotted on his resume is he is also an Ironman. So my first question for you, Wayne, is what was going through your mind on the last five kilometers, like roughly three miles when you were racing that Ironman? <laughs> well, uh, look, I don't want to get too graphic. It wasn't a really good uh, race for me. It took me well over 16 hours, uh, stress practice and the like. Look, I didn't really want to do it, but my wife really wanted to do it. And so I'm like, hey, let's do it together. Uh, turns out that she's way better at this than me. And she's gone on to do many, many more. Uh, but anyone out there thinking of doing an Ironman, I highly recommend not to do it. <laughs> not to do it. It was painful. Yeah, uh, but I think that's a great, great, great support as well. Like I think my uh, wife, she really wanted to go skydiving and it was our plan uh, to actually, like I was actually planning to propose to her after we skydived. And like, I'm really, really shit scared of this sort of stuff. Like I, I never wanted to do it, but I thought, <laughs> let me just do it. And I actually went through with it. We went to Dubai of all places, like uh, supposed to be one of the best places in the world. And we paid for everything. We're at the place and like getting ready to go. And we were just before the one just before us, they called everything off because the weather was bad. And I was like, geez, like thanking my lucky stars. Like in one way, like it was, it was really bad that the surprise got ended, but I think the thought that counts, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> Very lucky. Away with it. Nice. nice. Um, so uh, obviously let's shift focus a little bit to here today, obviously to chat about your experience, your past, like I mentioned uh, a few amazing companies that you've worked at. And uh, I think one thing that stood out to me as well is like definitely your time at Salesforce as the SVP of customer success group. I think 
Um, in the context of customer success as well, they are really sort of one of the forefathers and thought leaders when it comes to setting up the practice. And I'm interested just sort of starting off there as well, because I know you've, you're an author now as well. You've written the book. We're going we're gonna to chat about that in a bit. But the what was it like in those days, like uh, at Salesforce joining, like how far along had the customer success practice come uh, at Salesforce? Like what were some of the things that were happening uh, when you joined back then? Yeah, yeah, good questions. Um, let me go back just one step before and sort of say, you know, going into Salesforce, um, I, I was at a point in my career where I'd, I'd spent my life really working in the world of education, training, certification uh, for software vendors and all about getting adoption of the technology and really thought that, that was meaningful work because helping people be successful using the technology is people's career. It's their jobs. It's the, the way they get promoted. And, and so it's kind of important. And so I've always had that viewpoint. And it wasn't until I got to, to Salesforce that I realized that there's this whole bigger world around making people successful with solutions and especially in the cloud. And so this notion of customer success became of great interest to me. And so I really wanted to become a student of customer success at the company that kind of maybe accidentally created this movement uh, through necessity of this new business paradigm. And so um, for me, looking at what they'd established, even today, like, and we're, you know, nearly a decade later, even today, I think the sophistication they had then is well ahead of most companies today from what I've seen and interacted with, with my peers in the industry. So um, I would say that obviously customer success is ever evolving. I think we've moved from in the, in the early days, if you read the story of Salesforce, it was all about firefighting, right? How do we, how do we keep a customer happy? How do we plug the gaps in the product? They're playing a quasi support role. They're, they're just doing whatever it takes. And we, yeah. I call that in my book, CSM 1.0, right? Like firefighting. And then as we got better at communicating with our product engineering design teams and sort of saying, hey, look, if we did this and this and this, it would make it easier for the customer. Then the CSM world started to shift and, and move and transition into more of a value type role where we're looking for how do we get value? How do we expand value? How do we create advocates because of that value? And the CSM sort of movement went into 2.0. And I saw that, um, you know, Salesforce was kind of already nearly a decade ago moving into that 3.0, which is where CSMs become more strategic advisors. Like they know the customer, they know the product, they know the industry, very industry focused. Suddenly they became transformation people. Like this is how you can reach, like change the complete way the workflows in your organization work, how you approach certain challenges using the technology. And so you saw this evolution and I came in, at that CSM 2.0 starting to move to 3.0, just the early days of 3.0. And I would argue there are some companies out there are still at 1.0, right? Oh, what the CSMs are just firefighters, like stop, save the customer at any cost. Like I see that still today. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's always like the 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, it's almost maybe even in the sense like from listening to the show and other guests that it's a natural evolution of starting success at a company as well. I think the beginning, because often like, you resource restraints, you don't have uh, enough like people to fill all the gaps and you're really just doing the firefighting to be in it. So naturally you start off with 1.0, but interesting. <laughs> like, uh, Sorry. Yeah. Uh, let me just say, Andrew, it is always that case in customer success. In yeah. fact, it can never have enough people because the only thing that truly scales is technology. People don't scale. I, um, I use the example in the book, if I have one customer paying $20 million, I can put a CSM on that, no problem. 
But if I have, you know, 200 customers totaling $20 million, I can't hire 200 CSMs. So what I do, I start putting multiple customers on a, on a person. So they can't spend all their time with one customer. And then what happens is I keep getting more customers and it's getting expensive, layers of management. Suddenly I'm asked to say, well, you only get a customer success manager when you spend a million dollars. And so there's a whole bunch of customers that don't get anything. So then we create digital customer success and tech touch and it will never scale. And that's one of the challenges of customer success that we have to move away from, which is a just a people driven. And I know there's some great stuff happening around digital customer success right now and, and using technology and innovation to do that. And, and I think we need to, you know, continue to accelerate that. There's always a need for high touch CSMs. Absolutely. But yeah, the challenge is you're always, you always never have enough resources. That's the challenge in CS for sure. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, it's very similar to support as well, where you just literally need the people and the new tools and new ways to automate things and uh, uh, definitely introducing steps. But ultimately, it comes down to people still. I think things are definitely changing, like you say. Um, yeah. So you mentioned in the beginning that uh, you came from a different background than joining uh, before you joined Salesforce. But I think very, very related uh, the way you described it as well, coming from education, helping onboard customers and uh, educate them on the use. Um, what was it like making that transition? So as an outsider from the industry saying, okay, let me get into customer success. Like what were some of the biggest learnings that you had in the beginning when joining? Like what were some of the things that you sort of like maybe had your own preconceived conceptions of what it was going to be like to start a, a, in a customer success role? And then what, what was proven wrong to you? Like, what did you think that was completely different? Um, well, first of all, um, the first thing at Salesforce that I was just amazed with was the use of data. So I've never seen a function that was so honed in on data, creating you know, data-driven decisions that, and the data literacy of the customer success organization and their ability to embrace a data culture in order to service a customer was like nothing I've ever seen and still haven't seen that level of sophistication. So one of the challenges as someone coming in who's brand new is I'm, I'm looking at almost like best in class at that time saying, well, this is how you do it. And so of course my next few roles that I had as chief customer officers of several other companies, I don't have an army of data scientists with 10 years of algorithm, you know, adjustments and understanding. I'm coming in and saying, oh, I've got a spreadsheet. Here's my customers. We kind of rank them from, you know, what they spend and where we think their sentiment is like that. There's a big gap from that to a Salesforce. So in some regards, I was kind of spoiled. It's almost like my first car was a Lamborghini. And then as I'm getting older, I'm now moving okay. down the stack as far as like, you know, what sort of car I'm probably on a scooter at some point. But um, so I was a little spoiled. But for me, it was just this um, fascination of like data can drive so many insights to then know what the next best step is as a CSM rather than gut feel or experience because product, market, customer, everything's always changing. And that's what makes customer success so unique as a challenge to solve. The way we go solve it is not complex, but the challenge we're solving is complex, if that makes sense. So that that to me was one of the fascinations that I'd never seen. Maybe maybe a sales, a well-tuned sales org and a marketing, you know, with their MQLs and the funnels and this, maybe using data that way was probably the only other group I'd seen that really was leveraging data in a way to make decisions. But this was, this was something beyond what I'd ever seen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You mentioned a few different interesting things. I want to dive into this topic though a little bit deeper as well. First, the, 
the notion of using data and customer success and really being uh, effective at it. So I think we touched on this a little bit before the show that um, typically like the, the response is like that one-to-one personal touch, but uh, having the data can sort of prevent so much, uh, so much of that. And maybe talk us through a little bit about the Salesforce setup that interested you so much. And you mentioned like a lot of different data points, like, yeah. How was the system set up? How was it being used? How was it being maintained? And how like were CSMs influencing it themselves as well? Because I think uh, dealing with data requires, like you say, a level of sophistication, level of understanding. Like, what was the team like uh, that put this together? Yeah, I think you know it starts with the the data science team, which does a lot of work because because we're in the cloud. That's the advantage, right? When you're born in the cloud, all the data is available to you to understand what's happening in your customer base and. Um, in my book, I, I mentioned something called a churn journey map. So we, we all know what journey maps are and we, we talk about them and hopefully we do them because understanding moments of truth and, and, and when we need to show up for the customer and who, I think Disney said it, like no one owns the customer, but someone owns the moment. And so when you map out that journey, you know who's got the ball at each touch point. Um, that's helpful, right? But a churn journey map is just as helpful, which is let's go back and look at every customer that left and go find out why they did. And don't use the data that the sales team or your CSM team put in the Salesforce, like they didn't get value, uh, it was too expensive, uh, found a better product, like not actionable, right? Like, so for me, I recommend bringing in a third party, go do a full interview, you get a massive readout of data and people's personal feelings. If I reach out to a customer and say, why'd you leave? I'm probably not gonna get the honest answer, right? Either they think I'm trying to get back in or they don't want the CSM to get in trouble because it wasn't really their fault. Like there's lots of things, but when a third party comes in, people unload, like it's amazing the insight and vulnerability they'll have with exposing all the problems they had with your product. So once you have all that data, you then can start to look at the trends and the patterns and start to find the correlations and data analysts and data scientists are great at starting to put together like correlation and causation. So as an example, um, a customer doesn't log any support tickets. Is that good or is that bad? Well, it depends, right? That that data point on its own means nothing. It's just an observation, right? If they are a brand new customer who just onboarded yesterday, probably a bad thing that they're not, you know, exploring and running into challenges. But if they've been with us for 10 years and have a center of excellence, then of course they're going to have no tickets because they've got it. They know how to go manage it. So the data science starts there, but what the data science does is it creates the flag, the trigger that says, hey, there's a potential problem here. Here's a playbook on how we've solved it before and give that to the CSM and the account team. That's where the human element now comes in because there's nuances that data can't pick up. There's personalities. There's, there's things that the data is not telling you. So as a CSM, you take the playbook, you look at the situation, you then have to work out how to deliver that playbook for success. And you might deliberately change the playbook because that specific example of in that customer requires a nuanced approach. And so that's why having the hum- human element is so important with the data, which means the CSMs need to be able to interpret the data, read the data, have that data literacy, but be able to apply that then in an empathetic way to the customer. That's the genius of the CSM is, you know, on their own gut feel, you know, doing the flybys and that doesn't work, but giving, arming them with the right data and then that they can then apply their knowledge, experience, understanding. That's where the magic really happens. 
Yeah, I, I love that. And I think this is definitely one of uh, the weaknesses I see in analysts themselves, like analysts are just purely analytical and focused building out reports or doing analysis is if you don't have that close touch with the customer and you don't have a good understanding of their pain points and their problems, it's very difficult to empathize and you can easily miss points in the data as well. Uh, but having like CSMs that are speaking to customers all the time uh, with the data and analytics available to them to really understand what's going on and then having the foresight or maybe having had that conversation with the customer to really understand the why behind the what's going on. Uh, yep. super powerful. And, and I really love the last factor that you mentioned as well is like um, a trigger gets sent off that there's a problem with this in account, but not only with that trigger, like you firing off the playbook of how to fix that problem within the account. Uh, and you know, <laughs> I can see why you're saying the level of sophistication is just like next to none there because that does take time and take years of sort of repetition and practice and uh, figuring things out uh, for sure. Absolutely. And that's why I say it's like start today, like, if you want something like that sophisticated, it takes years. And so every day you don't start that journey, every, every day you delay bringing on data scientists, data analysts, like it just puts you much further away from the goal. And so, yeah, so my advice is always like start today okay. on that journey. Where do you get started? What are the first steps that you would want? Let's say like, I want to get to Salesforce level customer success. Uh, what are my <laughs> first steps? <laughs> <laughs> there's probably a bunch of other people way way more well-versed on at least how they did it but for me um i think about the customer success organization itself as a framework that you need to establish um and this is why i wrote the book because someone who comes from customer uh, some someone who comes from a great company like salesforce and looks at customer success and looks at how they've created that that machine and then you go to a new company, you're like, oh, I don't have any of those assets. I don't have playbooks. I don't have data. I don't, I don't have any of that. But you try to take some of the things you've learned and apply and it doesn't really work. And so you're like, well, how do I, how do I structure an organization that doesn't have the data, doesn't have the background, doesn't, people don't know what we do, what we stand for. And I realized that actually we need a common framework to build a success practice around. What you do inside that framework is totally based on your company, your experience. Your so it's, I, I put it in this in this example. I'm giving you the blueprints to build a house, but you get to decide the the carpet, the paint, furniture. But but you're still going to have a great solid house. And and a lot of people, including myself, when they pivot in or start building a customer success function, they're trying to build a house and pick out the tile and put a TV on the wall, like and it just doesn't. It just it's really complex. And you might get a great TV and you might get the best paint you can buy, but if the wall's not there, it doesn't matter. And so I think the framework's really critical. So to answer your question, um, think about it as a framework. For me, I I have a seven pillar framework that I use. And the first one is operationalization. So before we get started on anything, we need to know how to create customer experiences and outcomes in a repeatable way at scale that are proven to, to provide the, um, you know, those, those outcomes. And so for me, operationalization is critical and there are 10 tools that we always have to build in a success organization. And these 10 tools is what operationalizes the business. And then on all the other pillars, the 10 tools support those pillars. So for example, understanding the moments of truth, building playbooks, having a customer health score, building a customer risk framework, customer success plans, segmentation, voice of the customer, QBRs, 
uh, customer delight and metrics. You, you got to nail those 10 things. Now, yeah. you can do three of them and still have a successful CS function, but if you can go, if you can put those 10 things in and it can start really simply using Google Sheets or something, you don't have to have a sophisticated platform, like you can just get going on all those 10, um, that's what is needed in order to create a sustainable customer success organization that gives you a narrative to talk about what you do, why you do it, how you do it, because that's something that still eludes some people that aren't experienced around customer success, other executives. Yeah. We never needed this. Why do we need this now? I've already got sales and I got support and I got services and I got training. What's this other group just you know, confusing? It really helps you have those conversations, but more importantly, it helps you really focus in on how to have an impact on customers. Yeah, we, we definitely touched on this specific topic a few times on the show where uh, the more experienced leaders really understand the need coming into your company to really set sort of the tone for what the customer success team is about, why they exist, uh, why they're here and what their main role is. So it's clear to the rest of the organization. I also love your uh, your point that you made as well, like people coming from companies like Salesforce or where there's a larger sort of level of sophistication coming into maybe younger companies with a little bit less than perfect data and not the right infrastructure. You can't just like take a cookie cut model model and apply it to another company. One thing that worked the previous and things. So that's why I really love like what your analogy now of the house in the sense that like, this is the framework uh, that you can work within, but then it's really up to you to sort of figure out what's going to work for your place. Like, What's where the, where is the TV going to look good in the living room? Like, uh, right. so and what size TV? <laughs> yeah, what size? Uh, nice. Um, and this framework then as well. Like, how uh, would you go about starting? So you mentioned like there, there was ten things on the list as well, and uh, we'll try and put these in the show notes as well for the listeners afterwards. And obviously, we recommend them to read the book, though. We'll, we'll have a link <laughs> to that. Um, but you mentioned sort of getting started with all of them. And I think this is sometimes as well, like for me, when you said that, like immediately the word focus came to mind is like, how can you like uh, be focused and build anything like effective if you, you're spreading yourself thin? Um, maybe talk us through that like a, as a challenge in the beginning. Like how do you recommend? So you recommend that you need to have the foundations. You need to have these 10 uh, sort of tools in place. Um, yep. What's the best way to go about it? Uh, and you mentioned some things like just starting in Excel, like really simple, really basic. But um, yeah. yeah. So um, if I'm starting a new role in customer success, either as a head of customer success or a chief customer officer or whatever, the first 30 days is spent talking to the customers and bringing in a third party to talk to all the customers that left. That I always recommend that for any leader or any person, whether it's an established and mature function or not, because that's going to tell you really clearly where some of the major gaps and problems are in your organization. That helps you determine which of the 10 tools you got to go focus on first, because you don't need all 10, as I said. Um, but if you understand that there is a, a, a big gap in our in customer experience or in how we service a customer in onboarding, as an example, then what do we need to do to be thinking about onboarding, playbooks about onboarding, measuring health of an implementation around onboarding. And again, you probably have data scattered throughout your organization, the services team or a partner org or the support, they all have data points about what's happening at any one time. And so being able to bring all that data together, whether it's manually by sharing, you know, Google Sheets in a Google Drive or whatever, 
or it's a sophisticated tool that you buy from one of the customer success platform vendors. It doesn't matter, it, but just understanding where the pain point is, where does the data live and bring it together? And you can seriously, uh, I was talking to a company that's like, hey, how do we get started with playbooks? And I'm like, well, you know, do you have a shared drive of some kind? Yep. Well, then here's a template and I, and I have, a, you know, templates in the book. Like here's a template. You can modify it any way you want to make it yours. And then just have everyone use that template in a shared location that everyone can access really actionable, really simple and easy to do. And it starts the process. A playbook is a living document. It's always changing and evolving, but it has to capture some key things like what's the activity, what's the trigger, who owns the deliverable um, and where's the asset live. Real simple stuff, like a couple of columns in a, in a spreadsheet. That's how you can get started. It's, it's not, it doesn't have to be super sophisticated and daunting. You just have to start. And over time, you just build bodies of knowledge, you prove value, you get funding, and then eventually you invest in more sophisticated systems and, and, and then you get to a Salesforce one day or, or Google Cloud or whoever you're trying to emulate. I have to plug that because... Yeah, of course. Google, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Google Cloud's pretty cool. But, um, but ultimately, just getting started with the tools you have is really kind of, is my message. It doesn't have to be perfect. doesn't have to be pretty. Yeah, uh, and I think sometimes well, we overcomplicate things uh, and just getting started is the most uh, the biggest step you can take. Yep. When do you take that first step then? So let's imagine you're a very early stage company. Um, when would you say would be the right time to start this? And because you mentioned coming and joining as like the chief customer of officer, obviously at that stage, like the company is quite a bit further on, but when would you recommend like a young startup getting started with the customer success practice? Um, yeah, it's a great question. So um, I, I've actually read other people's thoughts and opinions on this matter. Um, and it's interesting. And, I, you know, I see this all the time. Someone solves a problem and they're like, this is how you do it. And everyone who's new is like, okay, that's how I do it. And then they do it and it doesn't work. And that, that was me to a T, like leaving Salesforce, going somewhere. Actually, as a chief customer officer, one of the groups I had to really establish was the customer success function. So as a CCO, support was known, services is known, training's known, and CS was new. And one of the really interesting things is the things I would just, oh, I've seen this work before. It's real easy. Here's how you do it. And it doesn't work. Um, and that's why I'm like, start now, like start early. Don't wait for perfect. Just go try something because every iteration teaches you something about the product maturity, the marketplace, your customer, your company's appetite to get behind what you're asking for, like building your relationships with the product team, with sales and marketing. So, um, but to answer your question specifically, as, as soon as possible, like if, if you're a $5 million ARR business, you should have a CS person there, like already. So it's yeah. not a 10 or 50 or 100 or 200. It, it could be 2 million. The second you have customers, you've got to start putting the customer in the center. And, and it's kind of easy in a small company because everyone's like, oh, we're all about the customer. Um, but it was really funny. It was, you know, not that long ago, I, I asked a leader of professional services, are you really customer centric? like your org. And they're like, absolutely. We live and die by the customer, like getting them up successful live. That is what we live for. We are customer centric. And I said, Oh, cool. What are your measurements of success? Uh, revenue margin and utilization. I'm like, which one of those is tied to the customer? They're all internal operational metrics. That's how they're judged on their performance. And so why aren't you measured on time to value uh, retention? Uh, and we still think 
like the old days. Like we still yeah. run businesses uh, post first sale, like the old days. And we haven't adjusted, even though we say we're customer centric and we care about customers. I'm not saying they're not in that example. I'm just saying that the way we measure them and, and, and show success is not about the customer. And that should happen as soon as possible. So when should you get start? get started when you have a customer just start doing it like just start practice yeah absolutely it does again it doesn't have to be sophisticated people can multi-hat it doesn't use crazy tools it's just just start thinking about it because the sooner you start the more knowledge you build which creates the the data models and things of the future that'll drive massive success at scale if if you're successful as a company and you get it right from the beginning Cool. Uh, I see we're running up on time, saving questions for the uh, last couple of questions. Uh, obviously, I mentioned this at the beginning of the show. I asked this question to every guest. Um, let's imagine a hypothetical scenario now that you join a new company, churn and retention is not doing great at this company, and uh, the CEO comes to you and says, hey, Wayne, we really need to turn things around. We have 90 days to do it, um, and you're in charge. But here's the catch. You're not going to tell me that you're going to go and speak to customers and understand the pain points and then trying to figure out from there what's the most important thing because this is what everybody said to the first uh, 100 times I asked this question. Uh, <laughs> so we, we've changed it a bit now. Uh, so let's go. The, the point with this is like, what's one thing that you've seen work effectively that was able to curb churn in a short period of time and something actionable that the listeners can maybe try and uh, see if it works with their business? 90 days. Yeah. 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 So that's a, it's a tough question because the reality is you should never let it get to that point. Like I shouldn't be under a 90 day time limit to go solve a problem, but I get the spirit of the question, which is the first things we do. Well, obviously who are the customers that are renewing in the next 90 days? Like if if we've got to impact the next 90 days, let's look at them. Um, depending on what the, the the CEO or whoever cares about the most, is it is it retention dollars, retention logos, brands, whatever. So you just obviously you got to know what that is. What what are you really looking for here? What does success look like? Um, my favorite CEO I ever worked for, Tom Hogan, he always said, "What does success look like out in the parking lot? You know, when you go outside." And I'm like, "Oh, we we rarely stop to ask ourselves that question, but identify what success looks like in the CEO's eyes." really clear and articulate that back and hear it back right okay so that's that's what we have to go do who are the customers that are now in play to enable us to reach that success metric and then then it's start to drill down into what do we know about each of these customers where are they on their journey like what data do we have whether it's support tickets escalations problems issues challenges or in some cases advocacy one of the things i love which we always forget about is advocacy about customers are the best like, <laughs> sales knows that getting great case studies and use cases and referrals helps them sell. What we sometimes forget is those great customers help us retain. Like, and so starting to connect, I have two customers in retail. This one's having amazing success. Great. Speaks at our conferences, writes blogs, love them. Going to renew again for another five years. Okay. Get that customer to talk to this customer that's not happy, in trouble, poor NPS, which is a horrible met- metric, by the way. That's I do a whole show on how stupid that metric yeah. is for how great a customer is um, and, and on their success journey. But but go talk to that customer. Start to bring the customers together because you're creating community. You're creating connections. You're showing that you're, you care that this customer is not having the success that this one is and you want to share that magic. That, to me, is how you're going to have a short-term 
coming up with like, oh, we're going to add some free service. We're going to throw on free training. We're going to, a bunch of those things don't really work Just putting the because you fundamentally have a bigger problem. Yeah. I love that uh, antidote as well. Like definitely, like you say, we definitely, when it comes to customers, we look at the success and really just focus on more like how can we promote that to serve ourselves, but really like what this, what you're saying, and in some way you are serving yourself at the end of the day, but serving your customer first by putting them in contact, like getting them to share best practices together. And uh, I love that. Last question. What's one thing that you know today about churn and retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? (laughs) Uh, I would probably have, well, there's there's a lot of things popping in my head. I'm going to say that the thing that was most enlightening for me was don't, don't just look at NRR net revenue retention as a metric of success. Don't forget about poor little GRR sitting over here, gross for revenue retention. Um, Because I've been in companies where NRR is amazing and that is a great metric. It's used when you want to go public. It's used to tell people like we're growing like gangbusters. Even if we sell no new customers, we're going to grow. I get it. And that's awesome. We should maximize that. But it hides what's happening underneath. I'll give you an example. 10 customers paying 100 grand a year could leave, but one massive customer buys an extra 2 million. NRR is through the roof. Your GRR is falling. And the reason why that's important is GRR is the retention of your existing customer base. And that's what it cares about. And that is how you grow in the future. So if you're losing 10 logos every quarter because, and you don't see it because you're only focusing on the net retention, like these big customers are making, skewing the data, your future success, your future growth, your future sales opportunities for new products, new services, new advocacy, ideas that come in that create the next idea that puts your company ahead of the the pack. Those people leaving, take that to your competitor. And so I wish I understood better and not just sat back and said, hey, we're in world-class NRR. We're doing amazing. We're retaining and expanding. And then you look at the GRR number and it's doing this. I wish I knew that sooner. I could have saved a bunch of customers, I think, if I had to recognize that. It's really interesting, this concept, because it's almost as well like the the other inverse as well, when growth is doing extremely well and how it masks the churn problem. This is uh, similarly like how it's masking a growth problem by uh, having net uh, positive retention. Yeah. Very cool. Um, well, Wayne, it's been a pleasure chatting to you today. Uh, is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Anything they should be aware of for your work? Keep up to speed with what you're working on next? Yeah, I'm, I want to speak directly to those people that have either just pivoted their career in or are thinking of coming in. This is the most amazing profession to be a part of. It also comes with some frustration because it's new. Not everyone knows what it is. Not all the metrics are clearly defined. And every company has a different view on what the team does potentially. Um, and so we as a profession need to be better at articulating frameworks and missions and visions and metrics. But to those people that are either new or coming in, like, you know, take the step, take the chance to go do it. If you love working with customers, but you hate having a a quota, if you love helping customers, but you hate the fact that, you know, you have to go to other teams all the way to answer, like if you want to own a relationship, you want to own success, you want to feel the ups and downs um, in a community that is the most helpful community in sharing knowledge and supporting each other that I've ever been a part of, go do it. So, you know, I was... I, I, I personally, for me, I'm so happy that I've changed my career. I'm evangelizing to all my peers 
that came from the education space. I'm like, this is the perfect next step for you. Um, but yes, uh, my advice is just just go do it. Just jump in. Like we need we need the help. We need more people, um, and we need future leaders. And and so coming in from sales or support or consulting or wherever you're coming from, um, take take the chance. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much, Wayne. Uh, it's been a pleasure for the listeners. Like I said, we'll have all the show notes and we'll have a link to uh, Wayne's book as well inside there for you. Um, thanks so much for joining. I wish you best of luck now going forward. Yeah, thanks a lot, Andrew. I had, had a lot of fun. Cheers, mate. Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.